Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. I am Michael, your captain. And in the studio with me is Lieutenant Junior Grade David Sabal. Hello. Hello, everybody. Okay. We are here yet again to talk about the latest episode of Lower Decks because this is the Lower Decks edition, and that is what we do. I. Uh, what episode is this? Episode four, right? <laughs> this is episode four. Titled Something Borrowed, Something, Something Green. green. Uh, the synopsis, Tendi is summoned back to Orion for a wedding. The episode was directed by Bob Suarez and written by Grace Herrera. Lower Decks coming in like a canon defining savior. <laughs> I, I guess you could say yeah, possibly possibly coming in and casting light on Star Trek's most mysterious species. You know, it wasn't until this episode that I realized that we really don't know much about the, the Orions. Orions. Yeah. There's a lot we don't know. In fact, what do we really know about them prior to this episode? They're pirates. Kirk sleeps with a lot of them. <laughs> They're green. <laughs> the women have a type of pheromone that they use to control and manipulate men. men. Yes. That's pretty much it. So I like this episode quite a bit because what, what did I say about lower decks? Be funny. Do yes. your thing. But also be relevant. And the fact that Mike McMahon used this episode to make a, you know, make jokes, plenty of jokes all around, but also redefined, introduced like things that we just never knew about the Orions. I found it interesting. And the way they, they worked, you know, of course, Tendi into this to flesh out her character and understand her backstory as Mariner put it, you know, Oh, these are, backstories I've never <laughs> heard, heard of. you know, yes. of essentially calling themselves out for never exploring the nuances of Tendi's background prior to season four. Well, it's something that, that Laura Dex is really good at is doing the meta humor. Yeah. Breaking Actually, that fourth wall, breaking that fourth wall, but not doing it like say looking at the screen and going wink, wink. Yeah. It's basically through simple little tracks of dialogue. Yeah, that, she, that Mariner isn't Zach Morris. She yeah. isn't looking at, you know, at the camera at the end of Saved by the Bell and saying, well, hopefully Kelly Kapowski is going to take me to the prom. prom. <laughs> Although I don't think women take guys to the prom, right? No, no, no. I don't think they're hopped up on stink. <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant 
Devana Tendi returns to her roots on the Orion homeworld to attend her sister, the Erica's wedding. However, her visit also forces her to confront the familial ties she intentionally left behind yes. when she joined Starfleet. And the narrative itself explores the deep-seated sisterly resentments and introduces enigmatic and occasionally dangerous figures from Tendi's past that was used for levity, as well as ways to formally flesh out the Orions and their homeworld. Mm-hmm. The episode provided insight into Orion culture and their way of life, shedding light on aspects that were previously unexplored. Yes. The episode, Story A, was predominantly about Tendi and her family, And her right? family, yeah. Because, like, it, I, I really dug the fact that they took a stereotypical story about the black sheep of the flame family and turned it on its head. Like usually the black sheep of the family is like the one that is rebellious. That is actually, you know, uh, hopped up on drugs or, you know, having sex everywhere in this regard, they flip the flip the, the, the stereotype and put a star Trek flavor on it because like we all know, What's really hot in Star, uh, Star Trek is the women that have brains. For some strange reason, it's always been this way in Star Trek. Women in Star Trek have brains, and they're very brilliant and smart. And we always say that's why we find them find them sexually attractive because not only do they look great, but they are geniuses. <laughs> and like Tindy, actually doing this to Tindy is like hilarious because it's it's bringing that Star Trek trope up front, you know, and being able to, like what you said, give us a little insight on something different, doing something different. Give us something like of a background of a, of an alien race that we don't know about. Isn't that what I said a few episodes ago? And it's something I said, I pretty much, it's not just a few episodes ago. It's something that I continually say season after season. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with the comedy. I enjoy a good time. Like I'm not some grumpy old man that yells at kids to get off his lawn. I do enjoy jokes. Um, I do want some serious moments and we do get them. Mm -hmm. But ultimately at the end of the day, what do I say about lower decks? If you do something new and you're not just working or playing within that derivative sandbox for shits and giggles and self-referential moments, then that's fine. Like yeah. as long as you have those, those moments where you make your show relevant to just to be perfectly clear, David, this is probably one of the most relevant episodes of lower decks because of how it expands the, the mythos of, of the Orions. That yeah. is the most intriguing part of the episode was the exploration into Orion society. Well, yeah, because the easiest thing they could have done especially since you included a character like Talyn, the Vulcan. Yeah. You could have actually seen this type of stereotypical story, story type being put onto Talyn, but we've already seen that type of They're culture. About, like the Vulcan culture? Yeah, the Vulcan culture. Yeah. We, we've seen that done before through Spock to give us insight on the Vulcan culture. Mm -hmm. Even like with Worf and TNG, when they do it to Worf and we get insight into Klingon culture. But those are the only races that they've, we've ever delved fully into. Yeah. Think, think about that, Mike. In, the, in all of Star Trek, because after this, I started thinking about it. 
when it comes to <clears throat> like main characters diving into stories about their race, races, culture, Tindy and, or and the Orions is up, is up there with like some of the like Spock and Vulcans and Worf and Klingons. But if you think about, is there any other characters that do that? I can't really think of any, uh, when I was writing down my notes, I couldn't think of any other characters out there that basically came from an alien race and we dived into their, their, that culture. Yeah. You meaning in a relevant sense? In a relevant sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, it's very strange. And I, yeah, listen, I understand probably why or the reasons why they haven't really explored the Orions. And it's because <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, not to me, cause I'm just not sensitive like that, but it's become a little problematic introducing something like seductive femme fatale type characters that lure men to their death or demise in a siren like fashion. I mean, that worked in the sixties. Yes. And there's a reason why next generation didn't even ever mention Orion's if yeah. memory serves me correct which is hilarious when you think about it because like well look at the Ferengis too like it, yeah, there's a reason why they like used the Ferengis introduced them I believe in the first season and the original intention was to use them as the new viable threat they were going to be the yes. new the Klingons of the next generation and because they they were designed as this misogynistic capitalist society it just didn't work for certain people even yeah. in the 80s and because of that they pulled back and they kind of changed the Ferengis moving forward mm -hmm. they no longer were going to be the the go-to villain but they also changed them they didn't focus as much on the misogynistic aspects yeah because the one the one joke that me and you keep bringing up about the Ferengi is like their first words were you give your women clothing yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like yeah, that doesn't work in, today, in today's world, so they had to soften the Ferengi. I don't think they needed to, but unfortunately, just because of the times, they have to. And that's another reason why they just haven't really touched on it in this new recent era, except in Discovery, and their culture has kind of changed over the course of a thousand years. Mm -hmm. And it's not nearly as dressed as a they're not dressed as much as a sexual people yes in discovery whereas here they blended various uh, i don't want to say iterations but various ideas and allusions to the orion people that have been you know floated throughout the last 50 years or so and they brought them all together and that is something that i found surprisingly unique and interesting you get this you get this picture of a very bizarre and anachronistic type of society yes a society seemingly governed under some form of matriarchal hegemony composed yes. of wealthy crime syndicate families where slavery and piracy seem to be their primary source of commerce which then could essentially be described as a criminal oligarchy or yes. an illicit aristocracy where illegal activities, exploitation, and organized crime play central roles in its economic and social structure. 
That's what I got from this episode. Yeah. And that's why I like the episode because in 25 minutes, they completely fleshed out an entire culture. An entire culture. And it's like they did it without taking those elements that if they were to actually do that, because like there were, there are questionable things that Star Trek has done in the past when it comes to the aliens, but the way here in lower decks, because it is, it has that veneer of humor satire Mm -hmm. and it's more acceptable and digestible for the audience. No one can get offended at this. Well, they also have swapped roles. The genders, yeah. Yeah, they swap roles. Like A simple thing, dude. Rather than the women being the ones that are the sexy seductress, they still are Yes, through pheromones, but it's the men who end up doing, what do they call it? Uh, Body humping or booty humping? (laughs) Booty humping. Something that, they, they called it something, and it felt like they were trying to make it like almost like a drug, like the pheromones are a drug, and then they end up doing things that drug addicts do when they're all strung out. Yes. You know, silly, you know, sucking dick for cocaine or sucking dick for heroin. That's kind of what they were doing with the males. Yes. That once they get that drug, there's nothing they won't. Do. It was called a hump dungeon, Mike. Hump dungeon. There hump you go. Dungeon. <laughs> and, I mean, come on. That, and the funny part is, is like, honestly, that's a little more consistent with uh, reality, in my opinion, yes. because men will do stupid things oh, heck when yeah. it comes to hot women. You cannot tell me if you were a guy and you were part of this culture. I think I'd be happy. I'd be okay with this. There would I'd be, be okay. Listen, objectify me, put me in a hump dungeon. I don't care. I'm, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I'm being taken care of. Fantastic. <laughs> this is why the, the gender roles should have been swapped like 5,000 years ago. <laughs> it would have no problem being objectified because they'll you know, being treated as sex objects. The thing that cracked me up the most was like when they would, when Tendi actually freed them from the, from the, uh, I think it was like the pheromone in the hump dungeon and she was threatening to actually cure all of them. Did you notice like all the guys, they were just happy. They were like going, they get free to go. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. um, no harm, no foul, no harm, no foul. What do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah, and, and the one guy immediately gets on his hands and knees and starts licking the woman's boots. Yeah. So yeah, David, interestingly, this is the first episode of star Trek period that was willing to explore the Orion species and their Ooh. native environment Originally, just to give some background on Orions for potential new Star Trek viewers and or listeners to our podcast, Orions initially made their debut in the Star Trek universe in the original series pilot, The Cage. Yes. Where Captain Pike encountered a seductive green-skinned woman (laughs) at a Romulan-style gathering. However, due to the costs of green makeup... Apparently, that's one of the rumors, which I don't think that's it, but that's one of the, the, the explanations. Subsequent appearances of Orion in the original series were limited. Yeah. In the episode Journey to Babel, which came out in 1967, when Orion attended a diplomatic summit disguised as an Andorian. But that's pretty much it when it comes to the original series. Then in the animated series with the episode titled The Pirates of Orion, mm-hmm. we were able to see 
how they gained this reputation as space plunderers. And then following this, Orions were absent from Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, which basically marked, what, 30-some years of no... No Orions. <laughs> no Orions, and it wasn't until the fourth season of Enterprise in 2004 that Orions made the return to the franchise, and that was one of those episodes in Enterprise that were kind of cringy. Oh, yeah. You know how I said that, that there are moments in Enterprise where you're like, ooh, that <laughs> didn't age very well. Well, well that's that episode is actually one of them just because it was straight. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. I mean, you had to Paul like essentially become jealous. Yes. Over all the attention, the Orion women the were getting. Women it were getting, it yeah. felt strange. Very, very strange. It was it's, weird. It's one of those, uh, one of those episodes where you, you can see that it's a very dated type of story. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. So, the reasons that the Orions have been absent, David, I mean, we kind of got into this a few moments ago, but we changed the direction of our discussion. It has to be due to the problematic terms. Right? Oh, no, absolutely. Because like, even, even by today's standards, I can't see them doing a live action version of the Orions in, well, maybe Picard. Oh, you know what? There was an Orion in the 2009 Kelvin Star Trek film. Yeah, because... Pike was uh, no, Pike, not, Pike. not Pike. It was Kirk. Chris Pines. Kirk was was banging one out. Yeah, <laughs> and like that's awesome. Th that's the thing about the Orions. All of us know that the Orions are a very quote unquote sexual race. That in live action versions, it would be too cringy. But it's it's also more than just the sex stuff. I yeah. think it's the fact that they're plunderers. They were pirates. All, well, yes, but also um, the Ferengi are kind of like pirates too. At least they were introduced that way. And next generation, but it's the fact that they were slaves, yeah, as well. That they were there were Orion slaves. Star Trek implying that slavery is still a functioning institution in the future actually makes Star Trek, according to some people, make Star Trek decidedly less than utopian. However, I would argue that that's not the case because the idea of progress in Star Trek is exclusive to the human race. Yes. The idea isn't that the entire universe of, of organic life has now reached some, some moment of transcendence where they recognize the error of their ways. That's not the case. It has to do specifically with the unification and harmony of humanity. It's the Federation. And what's ushered in this, this type of golden age. Mm-hmm. And if there's no slavery connected to Starfleet and the Federation, then I don't see why it was ever a problem. I know that people just have problems with the word slave in general. Oh, yeah. To where many shows and TV have just refused to use that word in any context. For example, Star Wars has purposely changed the name of Boba Fett's starship. It's just, like just one, called two. Boba Fett's Starship. Yes. Whereas the original name for 40 some years has been slave was one. slave one. Mm -hmm. And they have changed the name and people have, have speculated that it has to do with the fact that the name slave is problematic, but slave it's in itself isn't problematic. We can't erase words from, from, from language just because it comes with a, like a history. Yes. 
that is the most ridiculous thing ever. So I do feel like that's probably a big part as well. The fact that the Orions are advocates of slavery (laughs) and just that idea alone, it isn't uh, kosher with today's social climate. And when when you add the taboo of sexual slavery, it becomes worse. It becomes worse. Yeah. I personally think it would be interesting to explore it. You should use it as a way to comment socially. That's what Star Trek does best. Yes. But you would need a very special writer to do it. Yeah. Well, they bypassed it in Star Trek Discovery. That was one of my problems with, was it the third? I I love the third season of Discovery, but if I had to nitpick, I did like that they used the Orion, um, the Orion woman. Yes. I forgot her name now that was in charge of the syndicate. One of the major syndicates. Mm -hmm. I liked what they did with her, but they completely bypassed Pretty much. I mean, they might have mentioned it in passing that they're still kind of these types of people and they're still tyrannical and they're not a great people as a whole. They have problems, culturally speaking. Yeah. But they definitely skirted the line. Mm-hmm. Whereas this episode. They just, just dive right into it. They just jumped right into it and actually commented on pretty much all of those so-called problematic aspects. Yes. And it was really done well because it was done through the character of Tindy, who's like this sweet, innocent character up to this point. And they've done a great job with her throughout the last couple seasons, kind of alluding to that there's more to Tindy than meets the eye. You know, she's able to do all these amazing things. Well, we finally, after like three seasons now, you finally get the answer of Tindy's background, which she's she was this trained to be this ultimate assassin or the prime of prime uh, queen. I think, I think they just called her the prime. Yeah. And then that meant what? Like an assassin. Yes. She was going to be the greatest assassin out of all of them. And it it, and it it was like getting to see that through the eyes of Tindy was genius. That's a, that's, that's the way you can handle a story like this without, yeah, without, Stepping on too many people's nerves. It was one of the best episodes for character development. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I I mean, like, that's why it amazes me that basically when we look back in Lower Decks, when it comes to character development, this writing room has a really interesting way of creating character development for these characters. It's very concise. It's very concise. In such a limited time because the episode's running time are what? Typically anywhere between 24 to 27 minutes. 27 minutes. And if you think about it, Mike, they do better character development than some of the live action. Oh, shows. come on. Some come yeah. on. Like even, even like in like, I'm doing, outside, Oh, come on with a little wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> but even, even outside of star Trek as a franchise, you look at what they're able to do in 27 minutes and there's shows out there that take forever to get to character development. Mm-hmm. Like they, it takes them four episodes to get to character development. But here in lower decks, we get our character development within 20 minutes. Say what you want about lower decks. It may not be everyone's cup of tea because it does veer into the, um, the obscene at times and, and, and maybe the absurd and maybe yeah. comedy may not be everyone's thing. But one thing you cannot say about this show is that these writers don't know how to write. Yes. Because they are on it. 
every episode, whether the episode is spectacular in content or not, the format, the technical expertise behind the writing is some of the best. I, yeah, Dave, that's all I can really say. It is very concise. Even, even with, even with like their story B element that we haven't even touched on because the story B element in this episode was rather light. Yeah. But it was concise. Their story in story B was basically, it's a story about miscommunication. Mm -hmm. That is it. Yep. And they took a simple concept that a Star Trek concept, a Star Trek concept as a core Star Trek concept, say, okay, we'll make this story B, but story A is going to be bigger, you know, bigger in substance than story B, but it's going to be okay because we'll make story B concise and make sure that it feels like it is a proper Star Trek storyline. Okay. We'll take a core concept like miscommunication, do it that way, throw some well-timed jokes. I thought the jokes between Brotherford, I was cracking up because I'm like going, I wonder what would Mike do if I came in? All right. Maven? Maven. Oh, what Maven? Yeah. High five, Maven. No, I'm not high fiving you for that. <laughs> nothing, nothing can stop us. Oh, a lot can stop us. That name can stop us. <laughs> and I was like going, yeah, I picture me and you, like if we were roomies, we'd be like Rutherford. Dude, I'd probably kill <laughs> you. You'd probably, we'd probably kill each other. Uh, yeah. We'd have to dress up as Mark Twain. I can't, yeah, probably, <laughs> yes. And, and have to talk, and have to talk it now out. Now you like hear that. me here, David. <laughs> I would like a little mint julep now. <laughs> <laughs> you're pissing me off that's but so stupid that was that was the thing it's very simplistic it, that was the thing about that storyline it was so simplistic but it was concise and it flowed properly it didn't take away from story a yeah and it didn't it wasn't like a complete throwaway for the other two characters which is rutherford and boimler it kind of push their narrative a little forward. Everyone okay. has purpose in this show. Even even Mariner. I mean, Mariner and Talyn were essentially just social commentary and levity. That's, we got so much more out of Talyn, too, because, like... I think she might be my favorite character. My, she eh, she can't be my favorite character quite yet, but uh, if they keep using her the way they're using her, she'll probably end up being just like all Vulcan characters except Tuvok. They all become my favorite character yeah. at some point. And and that's the thing is like I like the the way they use Talin because Talin uses Vulcan logic to make sense of the absurdity. Dude, when <laughs> when Tendi was like, "Let's go celebrate" because there's no work to do, and Talin's all Talin said, "Celebrating one's lack of purpose is illogical." It's illogical, like that's amazing. <laughs> That's dude. That's why I like Vulcans. I know, and that, that's, that's so what, good. Uh, that's why I'm like going. This character who we barely have touched on and be, uh, gotten introduced to just in this season, she's coming along really steadily. If I had to pick one character or one missing element in Lower Decks, it would be Talyn, and now it feels complete. Yeah, we, we need those logical characters. Those characters that sometimes are used to isolate the absurdities of human interaction to make comments on the illogical for purposes of whatever social commentary or comedy. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many times has Spock been used from a logical perspective for levity? Yes. And it's almost always worked. Another character that basically is perfect for that is also Hammer from Strange New Worlds. Yeah. The way Hammer was used with his He's one of those characters with his yeah. type of with his type of logic 
to the situation and was straightforward. Yeah. And it's like, that is what Star Trek, where Star Trek excels with those type of characters. Yeah. All right, David. So you know what? This brings us to the end of our discussion. How about you give me a quick final thought and your RMD score? My final thoughts on this episode. It This episode was fairly compact and light. But at the end of the day, after I've re- after I watched it like twice, I got to pull a lot more stuff than my first go around. And I'm not going to say it's my favorite episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, my score for this one I have written down as an 86. But overall, when I take a look at the mechanics of how this episode was put together, yeah. this is something that basically I'm like going, if I were to actually show people who want to learn about writing and how to actually give us a write an episode of a TV show. This is an example I would make because it's kind of like you have 27 minutes to actually give me a story that will push your narrative forward. Give me two, two story, a story B don't just give me one story and make it work within 27 minutes. Yeah. This is a really good, it's, it's a good episode to actually take a look at. Yeah. I agree with everything you just said. This episode may not be my favorite episode in terms of content, but in the ways of now, of course the Orion stuff is great. Yeah. But overall in terms of content may not be my favorite, but from the writing mechanics, as you put it, Mm -hmm. it's pretty flawless. Yeah. And it's design. So I'm giving this episode an 88%. All right. Thank you, David. All right. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.